0: Well, we're starting a new series the names of god and i'm I'm kind of excited about going through the names of God. It will be beneficial I'm sure when I was in high school, I remember I had a few friends that when they referred to their parents, they would say, "Ah the old man and the old lady i mean i'm I'm sure you heard that if, at some point where people refer to their parents as the old man and the old lady. well, it bothered me i I, n- I never liked those terms. I thought it was disrespectful. It bothered me a lot. Pa- parents deserved and, and and should be treated with respect, and that wasn't very respectful. And so have you ever been in a conversation where someone uses the name of God in a disrespectful way? I mean, I'm not talking about swearing necessarily, although that's very disrespectful. If Like, th- just... It did, that bothers me too, and you can't really say anything because we live in a, in a dark world. We live in a Christ-rejecting world, and they don't even know what they're doing. It's like Jesus said from the cross, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, right? So, but the man upstairs, you've heard that. Maybe some of you have used it. Yeah, it's the man upstairs made, you know, I'm, or the big man, the big man, or a, maybe a higher power. I, I know that when people kind of, they believe that there's evolution isn't, doesn't make sense. They believe that there's, you know, something, there's some entity, some higher power that created things. And so they just say, how about the hound of heaven? How about the big guy in the sky? <laughs> it kind of rhymes. <laughs> um, how about the boss? Have you heard those terms? What? But God has a real name. God has real names. And I think we should use God's name. The use of such names seems to be making God in the image of man instead of man being made in the image of God. Right? The, like the boss. Well, that's a that's kind of a man term, right? Or you know, that's a human term. That for somebody that's a little elevated, right? That that we're responsible to the boss. Well, God is the boss. Yes, He is, but that's not His name, right? And so when we now, so when we say the man upstairs, what does that say to you? It says, um, "Do not disturb." <laughs> it's like a "Do not disturb," right? He's he's upstairs, but you know he's not bothering us, us little peasants downstairs right? We're just the peasants. He's upstairs and he's not to be bothered. How about the big man? Well, slightly bigger and slightly stronger than I am. And so he's, you know, he's the big man. How about the higher power? What does that mean? The higher power. It's kind of impersonal, isn't it? Yeah, it, you know, there may, maybe there's a creator. Maybe there's somebody I should be responsible to. Um, and you'd better behave or else right? Or the hound of heaven. That's, it's not you'd better behave or else. It's you have misbehaved and I'm coming to get you. That's, that's what that suggests to me. The big guy in the sky, well, that's kind of distant, right? That's, e- that's even farther than upstairs. That's like, okay. Uh, the boss, well, <clears throat> slave driver, you can't have any fun. Get back to work. I've got a job for you. That's the boss. My grandmother told me a story probably when we were having one of our kids about a woman who wasn't, she was absolutely sure she was going to have a baby boy. And so when the time came, she had a baby girl. And she didn't have a girl's name. She only had a boy's name. And so this baby girl went unnamed for like a week. And finally the the hospital staff came and said, Hey, you, we've got to put something on the registration. We've got to register this birth and we've got to have a name on there. She happened to be eating an orange. Yeah. And so she called her baby girl orange. That's a, it's, it's like, that's a terrible name. I mean, maybe red for a guy. My grandfather, that was his nickname was red because he had red hair, of course. Now, Brian uh, Bill tells a story. During a job interview, a woman was asked to give her name, and she replied, "My name is Lily." And he goes, "Oh, well, that's a kind of a nice name. Where did it come from? Why?" Well, she said, "When, when, uh, when I was born, um, my parents told me uh, that a lily fell from the sky, and so they called me Lily." Oh, cool. Anyway, then she didn't get the job. They're still interviewing. A couple of days later, the boss was interviewing a man for the same job. He wasn't much to look at, and he had a very rough appearance. And the boss asked him what his name was, and he said "Piano." <laughs> okay, okay, <bad>. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Never mind. That was that was a terrible joke. Okay, but names mean something. Names mean something. In India many are named after hindu gods and there's lots of them there's lots of hindu gods there's some that are greater gods and lesser gods but there's lots of hindu gods many parents name their children to reflect a famous person that they admire when elvis presley was was famous and singing and all the girls were going crazy and ah, how many kids were named elvis Probably a lot of kids were named Elvis. I went to school with one. I was named after a boy who my mom used to babysit. His name was Douglas. And obviously that little boy had impacted my mom in such a way that she named me after him. Our kids were named after notable Bible characters. Uh, Many of you have grown up with nicknames. I've had a few. Most of them are okay. Earl, Padre, Pastor, Mr. Engel, Skis. Well, the Skis were because I had big feet. And there are kids with bigger feet these days. I don't know. that, But my sister used to call me Skis because of my big feet. And uh, Candyman, because I really like to eat candy. And well, Pastor of Disaster, and that was that would be if I was a wrestler, that would be my my rest <laughs> that would be my wrestling name, Pastor of Disaster. <clears throat> and so we're starting this series about God's names. They're not nicknames. They're real names. They're God, and, and we will find that each name means something and is precious to us. It. It tells us something about the character of God. I've got um, four things I want to talk about. God wants to be known. In the beginning, four truths, and then a response. So, first of all, God wants to be known, and my my text, my text is really short, actually. My text is from Genesis chapter one, and it and it's just simply this: In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we have a God. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a word, without a sound. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth. And their words to all the world—that's Psalm 19, one to 4 You know what? A designer needs a a design needs a designer. If something is created, it needs a creator. The universe, from the smallest microorganisms to the greatest, the the greatness of its expanse. This morning, my dog got me up at six o'clock again. He wanted to go outside. And so I took him outside. It was still dark out. Beautiful. Even in town with streetlights and everything, you could see the sky. You could see the stars. The beauty of God's creation, you could see very clearly. So the universe from the smallest microorganisms to the greatness of its expanse is a declaration. It's an announcement. Of God's glory, His person, His presence, and so that we might know Him. Paul confirms this in Romans 1:20, "For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. A design begs for a designer. Have you ever watched a chainsaw carver? He starts out with a big chunk of wood. And then pretty soon, you could see that, oh, is that like some sort of bird he's creating on there? And he works and works, and each feather is detailed as as he works with his chainsaw. And pretty soon, and the, the intricate detail, it's amazing what a chainsaw can do in the hands of a, a skilled craftsman. For me it wouldn't <laughs> don't look. A skilled craftsman and a chainsaw is amazing. And so could could that eagle with its preying its claws as it's landing on a high point that the the chainsaw designer, the craftsman has made, could that just happen by accident? Now it needs a designer. It needs a craftsman to do that. God has revealed himself in his creation. Now, how far did God go to reveal himself? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus knew exactly why he had come. In John's gospel, Jesus' high priestly prayer is recorded in chapter 17, verse 26. Speaking to his father, Jesus ends this high priestly prayer I have made you known to them. I have made you known. And will continue to make you known. God is known in creation. God is known in the person of Christ. Jesus said to Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And God continues to make himself known in his word. One of the most profound passages is found in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. To me, that's profound. God wants to be known. He has spoken to us. He has revealed himself. And God wants us to know him by name. God is not the man upstairs. He is not a higher power. He is, a, he is personal and he wants a personal relationship with each one of us through Jesus Christ, his son. In the Bible, each time God reveals his name, he is revealing one of his characteristics. Each time he is revealing one of his characteristics, he's helping, us, he's helping his people navigate through a difficulty or a challenge. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything begins in Genesis. Everything, except for God. Right? Everything begins in Genesis, except for God. When time itself began, God already existed. The Bible does not make arguments for the existence of God. It just declares that God is. He is the source from which the universe came into being. The word used for God here is Elohim. <clears throat> it's a Hebrew word, and it is found about 2,600 times in the Bible, which makes it the second most popular name for God in the Bible. Yahweh is found more than 6,800 times, and, so Yahweh is, and Yahweh is God's personal covenantal name, whereas Elohim, Refers to God more generally. Interestingly, Genesis chapter one uses the name Elohim, while the most, uh, for the most part, and Genesis two and three uses the name Yahweh. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> Elohim, the word itself, depending on the vowels around it, it's kind of a generic name for God. It is a plural noun in form but singular in meaning when it comes to the true God. Elohim is the plural form of the Canaanite and Hebrew word El, E-L in English, which means mighty one. In Scripture, we often see the personal character of Elohim when it is shortened as L let me give you a couple of examples when it's joined to another word joined with another word elijah el- elijah or elias el is yahweh a self existing one and uh, <clears throat> and so that's what elijah means el is or el is yahweh um, and then how about Samuel heard by L even the name Israel means Prince of El. The Greek equivalent is theos. Four truths. I want to touch um, in this in Elohim and what we can learn from that word. Uh, we live in a world where nothing seems to last, right? Uh, stuff wears out. Now, I, it used to be that if you had an appliance and it stopped working, you would take it to an an appliance repair person, that lonely Maytag guy. If you have a Maytag, right? Um, they used to they used to fix appliances, but not so much anymore. Uh, pretty much, if it breaks, you kind of ditch it. Now things seem to be breaking faster. It seems to me, except for our deep freeze. I think we've had it for fifty years, but. It's, I don't know, it's, it keeps on ticking, it keeps on going. I think we got it when we got married. It's, a, it's been a real trooper, but here's a list, if you look online, you can Google this, how, how many years appliances are supposed to last. A gas stove, 20 years. An electric uh, stove and freezers, 16 years. Dishwashers, 12 years depending on the water. <clears throat> uh, microwaves, eight years. Humans, 79.5 for the ladies. Uh, I, I mean for the men and 84 for the women. <clears throat> As for the days of our life, they continue 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow for Soon it is gone and we fly away. That's Psalm 90, verse 10. I think they were pretty close there, hey? The psalmist really knew what he was talking about when he said the life, the days of our life should be 70 or 80 years. Not so with God. God is self-existing. He doesn't wear out. He has always been. He has always existed. He will never cease to exist. God has no beginning and God has no end. You might say that he lives in the eternal now. He lives outside of time. He created time. Moses wrote in Psalm 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world, Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God holds time in his hand. Someone has said time was created by God, and he wrapped the earth in its folds. I love that. One day soon, I think, he will bring time to an end. God is not a prisoner of or bound in time. Because God lives outside of time, he sees the beginning from the end. As A.W. Tozer said, he has already lived all our tomorrows as he has lived all our yesterdays. God lives. God is eternal. Elohim is eternal. Now, Elohim is creator, is the second thing, um, the second truth. As I've already mentioned from the very beginning of the Bible, we have a declaration that if that it's God, Elohim, that is the creator. Everything um, ever created is designed in such a way that it reveals the creative flair of the designer. Have you ever watched the Antiques Roadshow? Anybody watch that? And so uh, what happens there is these professionals, uh, they come into an area and you bring all of your old stuff (laughs) that you think might be worth something. And you bring it to them, and they examine it, and they tell you how much it's worth. And so, say for example, if you have an English table with a tilt a top, a writing top, not a, you know, maybe this big, just this wide, uh, a tilting top that that you can, well, I guess it's this way that you could write on, and 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 then maybe you can open it up, and there's a checkerboard inside, and and so it, you know, it's a pretty special table. It looks like it'd be really handy to have. Uh, for a student, maybe, and, and so you, you're wondering, you know, you bought it, it. You know, it's absolutely beautiful. It's in perfect condition. What, <coughs> what you really like about it is its little carvings. It's got birds and it's got, uh, you know, flowers painted on there. And so you think, you know, why not take it to the antique road show and see how much this is worth? I know I, you know, how much did I pay for that? Yes, I paid $137.50 at an estate sale. And, you know, it was at the time I thought I was, you know, it was a real stretch to be able to afford that, but I liked it and I thought it would fit so well in this room. And I bought it and here it is. And so you bring it to the Antiques Roadshow and pretty soon one of the examiners comes over and he's looking at it and and when he sees it, he's wow. He's just really amazing. He calls over the head honcho and he comes over and pretty soon there's more and pretty soon your table is surrounded by people all looking at it going ooh, ooh and 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 the head honcho is taking pictures and he's examining it, he's looking at the wood and he opens up and and then he looks someplace where you never even thought of looking and there it is. There's a little, there's a little mark in there, a little stamp that tells him that that who made this and when it was made. And so he brings his people together, and they go and have a little discussion, and they look it up on their computer, and they're and 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 they're looking it up, and um, and then uh, they're printing some stuff out on a piece of paper, and they come back to you. And they said, This table is absolutely amazing. It is truly rare. It is a 19th century stained satinwood English table. Congratulations, it's worth $20,000. Why is it worth so much? Because it's rare. And the designer stamp was on it. Right where nobody would be looking. And you know what? The designer stamp is on the whole universe. It's there. But nobody's looking for it. We have a, The designer stamp is all over the universe. Don't tell me that the Venus flytrap was a product of chance. Don't tell me that snails who can have a nap. And then stay up for 30 hours or hibernate for three years if they really have to is a product of chance. Don't tell me that owls who can see really well at night and who can turn their heads 270 degrees and who have extra veins. So th- so when they do turn their heads up far, that they still have good blood flow. To their brains. Your dad needs that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell me that these things are created by chance. Or the kangaroo or the electric eel or the stonefish. The most poisonous fish in the world. Mosquitoes. Over 40,000 deaths from malaria in 2015. They're the deadliest insect in the world vegetation, trees, even the earth's distance from the sun. Everything is so fine-tuned that without a purposeful designer, life as we know it could not exist if it wasn't designed by our designer, by our creator God, by Elohim, the creator. According to theoretical physicists, Mikilo Kaku, his real name. It's shocking to find how many of the familiar constants of the universe, constants, not constants, constants of the universe, lie within a very narrow band that makes life possible. If a single one of those accidents, he calls them accidents, they're designed, were altered, stars would never form, the universe would fly apart, DNA would not exist, life as we know it would be impossible, earth would flip over or freeze, and so on. It's not chance. It's not evolution. That is, You need way more faith to believe in evolution than you need to believe that God, Elohim, created what you see. Elohim, third is Trinity. Brian Bill explains the the Im ending of Elohim is a plural suffix. This is similar to cherubim becoming uh, cherub becoming cherubim, and the and the plural for seraph being seraphim. Uh, here's the cool part: although the name Elohim is plural, it is often treated as a singular noun. Look at Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Then God, Elohim, plural, said singular, let us, plural, make man in our plural image, in our plural likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the all the earth, and over all the creatures and that move along the ground. So God, Elohim, plural, created man in his singular own image, in the image of God, Elohim (plural), He's singular. Created him, male and fem- female. He's singular. Created them. I'm not going to repeat that. <laughs> now we can't, we can't make an argument from one verse, um, from one word, that God is three persons in one singular entity. With this reference alone, we can't do that. Or with the fact that the word describing God, Elohim, is plural, it has to agree with the rest of Scripture. Does it agree with the rest of Scripture? Is the question. I've always explained that all three persons of the Trinity are present and active in creation. We see right from the very beginning of our Bibles, we read in the beginning God, okay, Elohim, and let's, the mighty one, right? created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God. Okay, so we have Elohim, the the Mighty One. We have the Spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit. Right? So that's two persons of the Trinity. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, and that's the Word of God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and so we have right there in creation we have all three persons of the trinity father son and holy spirit we have the trinity and it does agree with the rest of scripture i we have i mean all three are mentioned in the great commission matthew 28:19 therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and in the name of the son and in the name of the holy spirit Right? Baptism is to be in the name singular of three persons, plural. Right? Finally, one of the uh, clearest passages is found in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. It's the Trinity, God and three persons. And then four, Elohim is purposeful. And every person is made in the image of God. God, Everything God created was created for a purpose. You and I were created for a purpose. And boy, were we ever, seeing that we're created in God's image. And so therefore, everybody, every person has dignity, worth, and purpose. Look again at Genesis 127. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The word created is used three times. And we're told twice that humans are made in the image of God. And so God has purpose behind everything he does. Elohim is purposeful. The fact that God created mankind in his own image should tell us something about our creator God Elohim. One important reason that God created us is that God's desire to relate personally with his creation. Humans can relate to God differently than every other part of creation. I know creation groans waiting for our redemption, but God relates to us differently. We're the crown of his creation, and he relates to us differently. So by making us in his likeness, God established a connection that enables us to know him, to love him, and to worship him. Animals don't have that privilege. Anything else doesn't have the same capacity in God's creation. This desire for relationship is evident from the very beginning. God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and walked with them in the cool of the day. Jesus told Excuse me. <coughs> Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4:23 20, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Of course we broke that connection but our creator God Elohim did not give up on us. Jesus the word became flesh and dwelt among us why to reconcile and restore our purpose. What's our purpose to worship? Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's Colossians 1, 21 and 22. So Elohim is eternal Elohim is Creator Elohim is Trinity and Elohim is purposeful and so how do we respond to that how do we respond to this name of God Elohim armed with his knowledge Elohim the mighty one it's one of the ancient names of God it's our purpose to worship and praise him in Isaiah 43:21, God tells the children of Israel This people I have formed for myself that they shall declare my praise. Of course, Israel had trouble doing that. And the rest of the chapter explains that. God goes on to say, but they wouldn't do it. They didn't fulfill their purpose. Each one of us is created for a purpose. William MacDonald writes in the Believer's Bible Commentary, God has a blueprint for every life. Before a, our before a conversion, he mapped out our spiritual career for us. Our responsibility is to find his will for us and then to obey it. We do not have to work out a plan for our lives, but only accept the plan that he has drawn up for us. This delivers us from the fret and frenzy and ensures that our lives will be maximum uh, will be of maximum glory to him. Of most blessed and most blessed to others, and of greatest reward to ourselves. Another way to respond is through prayer, is when we connect with God. Uh, now, sometimes with God, I mean, we can be pretty distant in our prayer, right? We, say, dear God, right, and we just kind of go through our prayers, right, and we we're the ones distant. It's not God. God isn't distant. We're the ones that are distant. But what if we start using God's personal names? What if we start using Elohim, I'm coming to you, creator, mighty one? What if we start using God's personal names in our prayer life? Do you think it would make a difference? I think it would. I think if we said, I mean, when we start using God's personal names in prayer, it's like we're saying he is the one who began it all. He created the heavens and the earth. He separated light from darkness, water from dry land, night from day. It's the ancient name of God. It contains the idea that God's creative power, authority, and sovereignty is his. They belong to him. Jesus used, actually, a form of Elohim on the cross. you know that? When he said... When, when Jesus called out, he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama, sabachthani." Or, no, that was not the way to say the, the last word. I, I tried really hard, though. And it's, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama, my God, my God, Why? And so what if we start using God's real name, God's personal names, the names that he has given us to identify himself, to reveal himself to us? I think it would change everything. I think it would bring us closer. I mean, he gave us the names to use. He gave us the names to reveal himself, his character. Why not use it? Let's pray. Elohim, Mighty one, eternal creator, we worship you because you are good and loving, merciful and kind. Ancient of days, commander of heaven's armies, you are on the throne and we defer to your authority. We defer to your headship. Be enthroned in our hearts this day in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.